You're listening to the Calm Collective Podcast, and I'm your host, Cassandra. This show was created with the sole intention to bring forth human connection, a space for you to be truly heard, felt, and understood. Here, we dive deep into experiences with grief and loss, growth and expansion, and the human experience as a whole through candid conversations. My mission is to leave no stone unturned so that together we can be reminded day in and day out that we're never in any of this alone, that the ability to create a life that we love, a life that we deserve, is within us. Welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. Today is another candid grief interview with Megan Holuka, who is a bereaved mother with six children, five who are still here at Earthside. So Megan encourages and supports grieving mothers that though the worst thing has happened to them, their life is far from over. She also experienced PTSD from finding her daughter Aria when she died, which is something that we dive into in our interview, um, and has done the work to find the healing in her brain and in her life. And from this, Megan just wants everyone to know that PTSD is not a life sentence and that healing is possible. And through her experience, of the death of her daughter, Aria, Megan has learned so many tools and different ways of shifting grief so that it can become just a little bit lighter and easier to live with because Megan has done the deep work of grief, made space for her grief and time for her grief. She now has room for joy and laughter and hope and just so much fun in her life. And while, of course, she'll never forget her daughter, Aria, and they talk about her often as a family, she helps her clients carry their grief instead of suffering with grief and to truly learn how to walk side by side side with both grief and joy. So as you can tell, Megan and I have so much in common with how we approach grief and the grieving process, how it's anything but linear, and that you don't have to live a life of suffering. You don't have to let your PTSD um, take the driver's seat. It can be a gentle passenger that helps you navigate your grief and surrender to your grief when it does full up or show up full force. So I am so, so thrilled and honored and beyond grateful for Megan willing, being willing and reaching out to come onto the podcast to share her story that I have no doubt is not easy to do. Um, but because of people like Megan and, um, those who have come on to share their candid grief stories, we are, you know, being, being shown that we're never in any of this alone. Something that I say all the time, we are not an Island. Grief is not an Island and it's my sole mission and my, a true purpose. I feel to be able to bring these conversations here for you all to relate and just feel that similarity um, within the universe and with other humans as well. So let's get into today's episode with Megan. In full transparency, when I got your inquiry to share your story on the podcast, I felt like I was punched in the stomach. I'm not a mother, but I'm a human being and I cannot fathom the loss of a child. So thank you so much for being open to talk about your experience, all that you've learned and just continue to learn throughout the process and for using your voice to make other mothers and families who have gone through this specific loss feel less alone. It's truly no small thing. And I feel really honored to hold the container for this conversation. Well, I'm so grateful that even though it was like, whoa, you know, for you that you actually still are having this conversation because it can be so easy to ignore or to not because it's so uncomfortable and scary. And so I'm really excited to be here and thank you for holding space for this kind of conversation. Oh yeah, it's my pleasure. So before we get started, can you just tell us a bit about who you are, your journey thus far, and what's brought you here to this podcast? (laughs) 
I guess it's a long, I'll just yeah. try to give a little bit, but um, yeah, my name is Megan and I have been a grief coach for, I'm trying to remember a little over a year, but it's been almost five years since my daughter Aria died. Um, obviously grief is what I work with and talk about. And I'm a mom, um, of almost seven children, um, though Aria died almost five years ago. And I just do work with moms helping them because I have done so much work on myself to get to a place where I can have a lot of beauty and joy and hope in my life. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm not grieving or that I've quote unquote moved on. It's a way of learning to carry your grief so that you can walk with grief and joy together. And so that's what I've learned to do over the last five years um, through many different things, through going to therapy, through investing in different programs and coaching and so many different things that I've done, just taking all of these different tools from many different people that I've learned and put them together and focused them on grief, on specifically on grief and how grief is normal. Grief is a normal response to loss and how can we learn to carry it? Absolutely. And I think what's so important here is that, you know, therapy is amazing and, um, you know, grief programs are amazing. Body work is so healing, all that stuff. But I think the thing about real life grief coaching is so powerful because, that person has directly been affected the same as you. Sure, your situations are different and they're never any there's never anything to try to compare, but that mm-hmm. deep sense of empathy is so relatable and comforting, it's almost hard to describe. And I think like when my dad passed away, really the only thing that helped, especially in that first chunk of like rawness, were the friends who had lost their fathers. It wasn't even like they lost their mother. It was like, I needed that like direct, Mm -hmm. you understand what it's like to lose the father figure, even if their story was a little bit different. And so I just think it's really powerful that, you know, you and, you know, myself and the rest of the people who have taken their pain and are turning it into purpose so that others maybe don't have to suffer as much, you know, Mm -hmm. or at least know they're not an island. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, totally. That's exactly what I'm like. My goal is I can't change anybody's grief journey and I'm not here to quote unquote change it Mm -hmm. because everybody's grief journey is going to look different. But if I can come in and help give the tools, hold the space, let them know they're not alone, give them tools to support their bodies and minds through it, Mm -hmm. that they don't have to suffer as long in their life or as much. Like you said, that's totally, I, I just like, I know, especially with child loss, there's been some pretty major um, grief support networks that will say, like, don't expect anything for 10 years. Like, you ha- you'll be in this way for 10 years. And for me, that's a horrible thing that they say. I don't mm-hmm. think that's very kind to grieving parents um, because if you're expecting it to be 10 years, it's going to take you 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you're not even going to look for hope past that 10 years. Yeah. And I really believe that you can learn to carry your grief sooner than 10 years where you Mm -hmm. can walk with grief and joy and it doesn't have to take you 10 years. There's not a timeline, No, but it's when you learn the tools and support your body, your mind, and really just Mm -hmm. being okay with, (laughs) with grieving, be okay with being in that space of how it is pain and really intense emotions. Yeah. And something, you know, to add on to that as well is I think that it is so dangerous when any sort of media or articles or whatever tries to put definitive rules or regulations or timelines around grief. Because on the flip side, let's say they say with losing a child, it'll take you 10 years. What if it takes you two and then you have that grief guilt that creeps up? Mm -hmm. That is just as crushing as it taking you 20 years instead of 10. So I think no matter how you slice it, that just needs to be left alone. And everyone needs to be on their own journey. And just like you said, have the space and like a container to support them through that. There is no right or wrong way. There is no right or wrong way. So thank you so much for saying that. I think that is so, so true and important. So I would love to know, in your own words, in your soul, what comes up for you when I ask you, what was Aria like? 
Oh, your smile is so sweet. (laughs) You just like lit up. She, she was such a happy little girl. She was so, I always called her my princess. Um, We had two boys and a girl. Or like that's, you know, we had had two boys first and then she was our girl. And Mm -hmm. like when she was born, it was just like, I was on such a high for so long having a little girl Mm -hmm. and she, like everywhere she went, she smiled and laughed. She giggled at everybody. Every, she was never scared of anybody. She still was at the stage in her life where like, I never got mad at her cause she was just so cute. She was so innocent still. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's just a, a light, <laughs> so mm-hmm. cute. She would try to throw a tantrum and I would just chuckle at her cause yeah. it was just so cute. And mm-hmm. it's like, you are trying to, but you're just too cute and it's not really doing anything. Yeah. That kind of stuff. She was just, Aww. she was so easygoing. Yeah. And do you mind sharing with us what happened, how you lost her? Yeah. So it's been almost five years, like I said, on May 27th. Um, she just died in the night. I went in there in the morning and she had died. Um, she was 15 months old and there was just no reason or cause. It's called sudden unexplained death in childhood. It's similar to SIDS, but after a year old, it turns into SUDC. So they did an autopsy and there's no, nothing that would have caused her death. Um, and I mean, that can be very difficult as a mom because you, you want to try to prevent, like, that was like my, like, okay, how do I prevent, you know, my other children's death, which obviously I, I truly believe that I don't have control over that, but Mm -hmm. there is this, you know, like if I can prevent it, if I can. So I definitely went into like getting pretty, um, I don't know if you want to say over the top, it's not just like very worried about my kids sleeping conditions, mm. like how they sleep, what the they anxiety. Sleep on. everything about sleep was very, um, you know, I thought about it a lot mm. and I just think, I don't know, for me, I've come to a place of, you know, she wouldn't have died in her sleep. She would have died in another way. There was nothing I could do mm. in it. And, and many times we can have different reactions to, having a known cause or not having a known cause or you know, having a quote-unquote reason why they died and it's just like for me I've definitely come to a place of it just is what happened and it's not something I wish on anybody um but it's it's our life it's our story mm-hmm. and so you've almost like giving yourself the gift of releasing that control and just surrendering to what is and no longer agonizing over needing the answers. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that that came easily. Oh, sure. You know, it's been a lot of work to get to where I'm at. And just like many moms who I work with, I felt so much guilt. I felt so much guilt about, you know, how could have I saved Mm. her? What could have I done? What could have I done differently, um, especially with her, because she had cried in the night, and I didn't go in that room, and she had stopped crying, so I thought, oh, she's fine, but then when she had died in the night, you know, I started to wonder, was that that time, or, Mm. you know, like, all these things go through my mind of, what could have I done differently, and then ultimately, I've had to do a lot of the work of processing guilt in my body, Mm -hmm. processing it in my mind, and then for me, it's been really helpful to just give up that control. For me, I give it to God that he is in control and there's nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a process, though, to get there. It was yeah. a lot of work. Can you talk to us about what you just said with processing the guilt, ways that you did that and sort of integrated that sort of healing into your, into your body? I love that you said that, mm-hmm. that you healed the guilt within your body. So I think a lot of times it's oh. like... We just relate it to the mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, because it is inside your body and mm-hmm. your mind. Your mind and body are connected, and they both have to. Like, the work I do comes from your body and your mind. I want to support both of them mm-hmm. because supporting just one or the other kind of doesn't get the whole picture. Yeah. And so a lot of people will say, you know, when you are talking about, oh, it was my fault or I should have done this or that, they'll be like, oh, it's not your fault. Don't feel guilty. And it's like, 
telling me to not feel guilty doesn't change the fact that I still feel the guilt. It's just shutting down maybe my conversation about telling you that I feel guilt. Wow. You know, it's not... It's not allowing that space to process it. It's just like, okay, well, I guess I obviously can't tell you that. It's like <laughs> a hard you're stop. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you're like, oh, you know, don't feel guilty. Um, but I think it's so important to know that even, okay, so not everybody will feel guilt and that's okay. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel guilty, you don't need to feel guilty about feeling not feeling guilty, <laughs> yeah, right. like a whole other thing. But most every mom I've ever talked to or worked with has felt guilt. And a lot of people who are grieving, who have lost somebody they love, feel guilt Mm -hmm. over many different things, over how they should have acted while their loved one was alive, how they should have, you know, done that situation, how they could have saved them, all these things that come up. Survivor's guilt, feeling happy after they're gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's so much guilt. And I just first want to say that, coming from a place of, okay, this is a normal emotion to feel. Not that you have to stay here forever, not that you have to live with guilt forever. But if you didn't have that reason to feel guilt, you'd find another reason to feel guilt. Right. And so being okay with feeling the guilt, sitting with it, processing it in your body, like I said, like feeling it deeply, um, because so often we want to like run away from the emotions right. or numb them or stuff them, but like letting it come out, letting yourself sit with it, letting yourself feel it. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's coming from the body and then coming from the mind is noticing what are the thoughts that you cycle through that you loop on that create the guilt because mm. your thoughts create your emotions. And so what thoughts do you keep thinking over and over and over? I should have done that. I should have gone in the room. I, you know, it should have been me. Why am I still alive? All these things that come up, notice what those thoughts are. And then you, once you become aware of them, that's when you can start to question them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always tell people like, I know exactly what my guilt thoughts are. Mm-hmm. If I want to feel guilty, I can go straight there. I can pull them up. I can replay them. Mm-hmm. I can go through the whole thing and I can feel the guilt in my body. Mm-hmm. But underneath guilt, a lot of times is a feeling of not deserving to feel happy, a feeling of not feeling worthy to be alive, of should have been me. Like I should, like, especially with child loss, it's like my child should be the one who's living, not me. And um, so when you have all of that, there's, and then we connect with our, loved one through guilt mm-hmm. too. Yeah. They say, I, so I, true. When I'm talking about guilt. You can almost put in any emotion in here. So like yeah. anger or whatever, but whatever emotion you have, you're connecting to your loved one through that emotion. And so then if you let quote unquote, let go of that emotion, you're letting go of them. Mm. Yeah. And so understanding that underneath all of this processing it in your body and your mind is that, do you even want to let go of guilt? Because mm. you, believe that if you stop feeling guilty, you're no longer grieving and you must be a bad mom and you're moving on and you're forgetting. Yes. And so knowing that letting go of guilt does not mean that you're moving on or forgetting is also helpful, but it's something that you have to feel process and experience in your body. Yeah, absolutely. The community around, um, Death and loss is, sounds weird to say, I guess, but I just think it's so beautiful and so relatable, kind of like what we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier. But at the same time, there are just some things that someone can't touch if they haven't experienced it directly. So, for instance, the loss of a child and then birthing a child almost immediately after, which was your situation. You were pregnant, Mm -hmm. almost about to give birth when Aria passed away. So what was that experience like for you, losing, losing your baby and having another? Do you think... I guess I wonder, do you think in some ways that it helped you, it healed you sooner than if you hadn't been with child during this time? Did it rob you of any space to grieve? I would just really love Mm -hmm. to hear your experience here as a means to touch those who have been through a similar journey. Yeah, obviously it's the only experience I know. Sure. Because that's what happened to me. But um, like you said, my daughter, Breland, was born four weeks after Aria died. So it was 
super intense and that was like the only baby that I was like you can stay in as long as possible like I don't need you to come early I don't you know I don't need you out because I was just like I need this time Mm. to grieve I don't know what to expect I don't know what grief plus postpartum looks like yeah um and I don't it's hard to say I just think many times I felt like um I didn't have the space that I would have liked to, to grieve because I had PTSD as well. And then my PTSD was around sleep and then a newborn sleeps all the time. And so, um, I had so much fear, stress, and anxiety around my other two children, plus my baby where I couldn't relax at Mm. all. It was like constant. So I didn't, because to go to grieve, to fully grieve and be in that space, you, you have to feel safe in your body yeah. because it's a very intense and it's a very... Um, it's unpredictable I, in a lot of ways. It's, it's unpredictable, but it's also like a you're getting very vulnerable, yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say, yeah. to when you, when you go into that grief space. Yeah. And when you don't feel safe, it's hard to go into that kind of space. And so it was really hard to balance, okay, what is trauma? What is grief? What is, um, you know, what can I allow myself to do? How can I make the time? Like for me, I had to be completely away from all my kids, my husband, anybody, because I, mm. I would like put my trauma on other people, like trying mm. to make sure everyone's alive, you know, keeping everybody alive. And I'd be like, I need to be completely by myself in order to be able to let myself grieve. And so... I did that. I made, you know, I, I found babysitters. I was able to do that, but it just felt really hard to, um, it, it was hard. It was mm-hmm. a hard balancing thing, but I, so then I just was like, I want to be the mom that I want to be. I felt like I wasn't, I couldn't be the mom that I wanted to be because mm-hmm. of my trauma, because I was grieving so deeply. Obviously I don't, I don't believe grief. There's a problem with grief. I don't believe that there's anything wrong with it, that it's normal and that we need to be okay with being that way. Mm -hmm. And our kids are going to be like, we can support them and get support for them as well. But we, we don't need to rush it or force it, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to heal my trauma and to process my grief and my pain in a Mm -hmm. way that would get me (laughs) to a better place quicker if Mm -hmm. that makes any sense Mm -hmm. so I did go to therapy for EM or for my trauma my I did EMDR and that was Mm. like my work that's what I did EMDR is Um, so powerful it is it was amazing I I feel like it saved my life Mm -hmm. um because trauma is not a way to live to live Mm -hmm. with trauma it is horrific and Mm -hmm. awful and I, I suffered horrifically every single day and now I don't live with that and I'm so so grateful can you explain to people who might be listening who don't know what EMDR is yeah EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing um it is for traumatic like when you have trauma in your body I was quote-unquote diagnosed with PTSD but I do believe that a lot of people have trauma and they Mm -hmm. are diagnosed absolutely can't get that diagnosis um And I think that it's really important to just pay attention to yourself and your body and under, like, the more you can learn about trauma, the better to know that, like, you're not crazy. There's hope for you. There's help for you. You don't have to live this way the rest of your life. Yeah. But EMDR is a a therapy, I guess, um, where I held buzzers in my hand. Mm. Other people do like a red light where they move their eyes back and forth. Some people do like tapping back mm-hmm. and forth from left to right. But I had I had buzzers and it's really a way of like rebuilding pathways in your brain and putting when you have trauma, it's this is how I thought of it. It was like all my connections in my brain just cut and snapped in half mm-hmm. and I could not communicate from my right side to my left side. That's not scientific at all but that's how I thought of it Mm -hmm. you know my right side and left side couldn't communicate and then with EMDR every time I did it every time I went through a memory um on my own terms I've rebuilt pathways that 
helped me go into like a safe space in my body, mm. helped my body calm down, helped my body know that this is not a ever present, ever happening memory or like thing right now that it's a memory that mm-hmm. it, I can file it in my brain as this happened in the past. It's not happening over and over and over and mm. over and over again. Cause that's what trauma does is mm-hmm. your whole body responds without any control. Like I had no control over how I responded over how my body reacted, over memories that came up. Like I was reliving that moment over and over again. Mm-hmm. And the EMDR helps file that memory to the past. And it, it truly has been life-changing for mm-hmm. me where before, like I had a huge stress ball in my chest all the time. Like I couldn't even, I could never relax ever. And now I don't have that. And then I, I notice it every day. I still do, even though it's been, I don't know how many, four years since I've had that. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm so grateful. Well, and I truly believe, yeah, because you did that work, that's how you're able to support other people, you know? So that's so beautiful. Is Aria um, your firstborn? No, she was our third. Okay. So here's, I want to ask you this. How... Was that experience for you navigating grief with two other children and explaining, you know, you don't need to go into the details of what, what explaining what happened, but just sort of like supporting young kids in that environment. It's, it's a lot. I mean, I think as a mom, it's really hard to have your other kids have experienced something so painful at such a young age, um, you know, like I felt like I was young at 23 mm-hmm. and then like my kids are even younger, two and a half and four and they know grief and loss. Mm-hmm. And it's, you start to wonder, are they going to be okay? Is this going to affect them the rest of their life in a bad way? You know, like you worry about that kind of stuff. And I think for me, what's was really important is we, we did obviously talk to them about it. We, I wanted to hold space for them and really, I realized you can't force any conversation with them, Mm -hmm. but if they bring stuff up to be there to Mm -hmm. like have that space that they can bring stuff up, but also that you don't need to be the only support for them. Yeah. We took them to play therapy and that was amazing for them. They loved it. They loved going there. Um, children, I learned a lot about kids and, you know, a lot of people will say kids are so resilient. They're going to be okay. And I think, yeah, kids are resilient, but it doesn't mean that you don't need to support them Mm -hmm. or do anything with them. If they aren't talking about it or they're not saying anything, it might just mean that they don't have the words to describe what they're feeling. They don't understand what they're feeling. They don't know what's fully understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I learned how powerful play is. And so for me, it's really important for all of our children to have a lot of playtime. We do a lot of play in our house because play is a way that children process. And even us as adults, like we need to Mm -hmm. play more too. The dopamine that comes from it. Yeah. They process a lot of what goes on in their life through play. And so giving them that space and the downtime to play has been really helpful and then just holding that space for them and letting them know that you know it's okay to talk about it it's okay Mm -hmm. to cry if you want to like it's okay to not cry it's Mm -hmm. okay to be whatever you know like kids are so it seems like you know when you're with them they're like you'll be in the grocery store and be like oh yeah my sister died and then they go talk about something else like they're so Mm -hmm. fluid other people are just like whoa yeah (laughs) you know they don't know how to respond to that and kids are so matter of fact and this is what happened but they're thinking about it yeah you know yeah and then the last thing I would say is that understanding that kids as they so my kids were pretty young and as they grow older they reach different levels of understanding of what happened. And so it's almost like different layers of grief come out as they get older. And Mm -hmm. as they work through stuff, it's like, Oh, now they understand that. I think it's like six or seven or eight, somewhere in there where they understand the the finality of death, Mm -hmm. like that they're not coming back that, Mm -hmm. you know, what does it mean when someone dies? Mm -hmm. And so as your kids get older and work through all that stuff, it, 
it's just another, you know, it's kind of something you're always going to be supporting and working mm-hmm. through. And, and I think, I guess the other question that always comes up is like, how do you support yourself when you're as a mother kid? Yeah. Um, because so many moms put all of a sudden they're like, put my, and my kids need help. And then they put their grief on the back burner mm-hmm. because I want to be there for my kids. I want to be a good mom for my kids. And I think the really important thing that I've learned is I needed to take care of myself so I could take care of my kids. I needed to, when I hold space for my grief, when I process my grief and my pain, then I have more capacity to do that with my children. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I'm like, I always like talk about this and like, I'm not perfect at this, (laughs) whatever, Mm -hmm. but it's just, I, that's what I believe I have to do is Mm -hmm. to, Whoa, this switched. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I think it's so important to hold space for yourself so you can hold space for your kids. Mm-hmm. And you make it, it's so clear that you make it a safe space for your kids for when those questions or statements or comments do come up. You know, I think what's so interesting since I started doing these candid grief conversations with, you know, real people going through real grief is that a lot of times they feel like their childhood didn't support this subject or it wasn't talked about or when they lost a grandparent, it was like watching how their parents, you know, supported themselves through grief or maybe not at all. It really does affect us as adults when we then have an experience. And so mm-hmm. I think really how, like how you're explaining, even just, it gave me chills when you were like, yeah, we took them to play therapy. I was like, what? Like, that is so beautiful to just like, not assume, right. That they are resilient. Like you said, it is yeah. so detrimental that we just don't assume that we know what's best for the child. And that's just a really beautiful example of you treating them like, you know, real human beings with feelings, even though they are, they were so small. So I think that's really beautiful. So what was your support system like after Aria had died? I was very lucky and like very blessed, I guess, to have such an amazing support system. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot of amazing, an absolutely amazing group of friends who, really helped in so many ways. Um, just like I would send them, you know, my, my therapy appointments to one of my friends and then she would ask all my friends who can babysit my kids. And so I never had to worry about, you know, where, where are my kids going to go? I had a babysitter for therapy and like things like that. My, my friends were, and definitely, you know, there's friends who were closer and friends who, you know, sat in that muck with me Mm -hmm. a lot more than others Mm -hmm. um and just like my friends were amazing we had support from our family but I would say our friends support network was amazing and we have a pretty big church group also that helped us so we were very lucky and I think it's very important to acknowledge that that Mm -hmm. like having the support is a huge thing um because sometimes and even when I had the support it still can feel really lonely. Oh, like it yeah. It still can feel, you know, like, I always say there's ways people can support you, but there's still a lot of parts of grief that you have to do alone. Absolutely. And we were just, I don't know, the people that would just come to my house, you know, they'd mm-hmm. text me and then they'd come and just sit at my house. They didn't mm-hmm. even say anything. They didn't mm-hmm. have to do it, you know, or they would come and clean my house before my baby came or, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. all these things that they did we just felt so loved and so grateful for that. And then you also get like, I'd rather not be on this end. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to be the one helping other totally. people. Totally. But my experience that I'm needing the help that, you know, like going through something so horrible, whatever, it's all that, mm-hmm. you have all those kind of thoughts too. Like, uh, I wish that it wasn't us. Yeah. Yeah. Like how is this happening? Yeah. Yeah. What about after, so this is something that I experienced and it really is to no fault of anyone else because it is really just a projection of your own pain, I believe. Um, but 
I know I went through some disappointment after some time had passed and that overpouring of support had dwindled off, like as it should, that is natural, right? But people are texting you less often, maybe on the year marker, not as many people are remembering. Did you notice that happening within your own life? Um, And if so, how did you... How did you sort of navigate that? Was that like a message to your soul of like, okay, there's still some more work to do here? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that, like, I agree. It's a very normal thing. And I think there is some sort of, it's hard for somebody else who isn't living in the depths of pain that you are in every single day to understand how deep it is and how long it lasts. Mm -hmm. And as a society, we almost have this, like, there's, there's like a different types of windows, but like six weeks is kind of when people are very supportive and helpful and kind. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of expect you to get over it and move on. And then for sure by a year, you should be kind of, you know, like mm-hmm. being okay. You should be good. And it, I think it's really important to have those conversations. Um, not necessarily like when you're in deep grief that you have to tell people that, but like the work I do is to like grief, doesn't ever end Mm -mm. it's with us forever we grieve forever Mm -hmm. but for me I understand that I know that my grief will be with me forever I know that me and my husband will both grieve forever the rest of our lives and our kids and to I think it's it is hard when people don't um support or reach out as much you know Mm -hmm. as time has gone on it's been it's definitely been less and less but I also know that that's a normal progression of what happens mm-hmm. and people aren't, they don't understand mm-hmm. how long it lasts. And then also people get, you know, so caught up in their own lives and they don't yeah. realize how big it is for you every single day still. Yeah. Um, so I just learned that for me and my husband, we get to give ourselves that space. Yeah. We get to give ourselves the permission to be, to talk about her. We talk about her often every day within our family, mm-hmm. with our kids, with each other, like very often. So it's even if other people aren't doing anything about mm-hmm. it, like we talk about her right. and we will do that, you know, probably forever. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it can bring different levels of pain when you realize that everybody else is um, sort of moved on or yeah it feels like everyone else it feels like yeah Mm -hmm. and I think that it's just it's okay to feel that pain Mm -hmm. but also we can so easily get into projecting like you said projecting that pain onto others or getting resentful or angry towards them that they should be doing it differently and it and I guess I just question that like should they be doing it differently yeah like is it because that's what they're doing and then when we start fighting with that reality of that's what they're doing then we're the ones suffering yeah in our life and our grief and right. so I think for me I just feel really okay with giving myself that permission to grieve and to know that I won't ever forget her and move on and other mm-hmm. people don't have to mm-hmm. validate that in that way mm-hmm. and Yeah. I also, too, I try to think of it as, like, you know, I have friends who have lost friends and siblings and parents, and it's it's a really healthy reminder for me to be, like, I don't check in on them as much as I used to, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, like, we are all in the same camp. We are all humans. Our grief will always be the biggest, and we will feel it the most, and that you know, when I start to feel disappointed or sad by how a friend is showing up or not showing up for me, I really try to put myself in their shoes and be like, okay, well, when is the last time that I showed up for X friend? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really helpful to flip the switch. Either it's going to give you the grace to say like, okay, it's okay. Like you said, I don't need this to be validated by other people, or it heightens your awareness of, I want to be better and I want yeah. to be more supportive of the people in my life who are feeling this. Totally. Pain. Cause when you're grieving, it's so easy to go so inward and oh, all yeah. you can see it's your own pain and oh, you can't God. even see how maybe the other people in your life would need the support from you. And Absolutely. you know what, frankly, when you're in deep grief, you might not have that capacity to support other people and that's right. okay. So it's just, and what if they don't have the capacity to support you? Exactly. So it's just that like, 
whole thing of just being, you know, it's a, it is, it is hard. It's hard Mm -hmm. to navigate, but just keep bringing that compassion to yourself and then compassion to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about the power of feeling to heal. Cause a lot of times we want people to really just talk, talk, talk about their grief, right? To open mm-hmm. up and to release the vibration of their pain through storytelling or reliving. It's powerful stuff. Absolutely. It's part of the process when it comes to healing. But what I've found within my experience and through supporting others through their own grief journeys is that if we're afraid to really feel into our grief, that's the scary shit. That's the stuff mm-hmm. that, right, that makes us feel paralyzed, that if we crack open too deep, if we allow ourselves to feel that kind of pain again, we might not survive. But oftentimes that's where the release is and that's where the light is. So how do you feel about this subject, talking versus feeling or feeling to heal? (laughs) This is like my... Your jam, (laughs) your magic sauce. I have a little mini course called Stop Talking, Start Feeling. Oh, lovely. (laughs) It's all about because like you said, like we have, and I'm so grateful that we've come this far where it's very like, okay, go to therapy, get help, get mm-hmm. support. You know, and I, I think therapy is amazing. But like I was saying earlier in the, in our talk was like, we need to support our bodies and our minds from both from our minds and our talking mm-hmm. and our bodies. Mm-hmm. And in therapy so often, it's just focusing on talking. It's just focusing on replaying our story and going over our story some therapists do give amazing tools as well, but it is a place to talk. Mm-hmm. And I really think the feeling part of it, I I believe that you can't get to any place of holding grief and joy without fully feeling it. And people will ask me like, well, how do I know if I'm feeling it? How do I know if oh, I'm you know. emotions? You know, how do I know if I'm stuffing or numbing? And yeah. I, I think it's when you let go of all resistance mm-hmm. because the floodgates open. Yeah. Because sometimes, yes, you still feel sadness. Yes. You still feel anger or guilt, but you're also fighting it. Mm-hmm. Many times you feel those. And at the same time you're fighting them and you're not allowing yourself to feel them. So if you can feel, say you have anger come up and you're like, Oh, I shouldn't be angry. I'm not an angry person. I don't like being angry. I don't right. want to feel this anger. Right. You're still feeling the anger, but you're having this battle with it now. And when you can get into a place of having compassion for yourself, letting that anger come through, knowing that anger is just an emotion. It's just mm-hmm. an energy that needs to flow through your body. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with you. It's normal. It's such a different place. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, you're releasing control over it. It's like you're, I always kind of describe it as like you have your body and there's like a river flowing through your body. And this river has all these emotions coming through and we are like, Oh, that's anger. And we put up a dam. Yeah. You're like trying to suppress it. Yeah. It's building up in your body. It's building up. It's so much of your emotions. They can make you physically sick. They can Mm -hmm. make you more um, anxious, more like dealing with things mentally, you can get like, it can blow up like anger, especially can come out and hurt other people Mm -hmm. in the ways that you don't want to hurt yourself. Um, But if you can just let that anger flow through your body, where you process it, you sit with it, you go to the bottom of that anger, Mm -hmm. it just flows through you. It's just an energy. And then all of a sudden it's out of you. Mm -hmm. It might come again, and you flow through it, you know, you just keep letting mm-hmm. it flow through. Mm-hmm. But when you put up a dam, it's then you're fighting it all the time. Absolutely. And it's always it's exhausting. there. And it's always right under the surface yeah. rather than just letting it flow through you. And so I do a ton of work on this um, with the moms I work with, with and myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always want to say, like, I do this work on myself all the time too. It's not like everything I do with other people is Mm -hmm. what I do with myself yeah but I do different like guided meditations to help Mm -hmm. to learn how to feel emotions because Mm. we don't really know how to right it's scary it's terrifying we're like it's bad to feel these emotions Mm -hmm. like yeah I'm not going to survive I'm going to die if I feel this emotion all that kind of stuff but when you can have like say a guided meditation that helps you Mm -hmm. learn how to connect with your body Um, or tapping EFT Mm -hmm. tapping I do that a lot Mm -hmm. where we just tap through different emotions and feelings and I I think it's really important but it's also important to know that if you've been stuffing or numbing emotions 
you don't have to turn on like the fire hose all at once. Right. It can be overwhelming. And then your body can go into like, kind of like shock. Like I can't handle all of this. Yeah. So you can Mm -hmm. just do a little bit at a time. Let yourself feel, begin to, especially when you have trauma, you can separate your body. You're like, get out of your body. Like you don't connect with your body anymore. Mm -hmm. So you have to learn how to bring yourself back into your body, learn Mm -hmm. how to feel safe in your body, feel safe to feel anger, feel safe Mm -hmm. to feel the guilt, all of those things, you know, like feeling safe to be in those emotions. And that it it might take a while. So don't give yourself like, I need to do this right now. A deadline. Give yourself time to just process. Yeah work through and feel. And mm-hmm. I, I just think it's so important. It's the only way. It's forward. the only way. I really believe it. It's so true. And I mean, I too, when I go through this stuff, I try to reprogram sort of what my emotions are bringing up. So when I'm angry, because that is, like you said, it is a foreign emotion for me. Like anger is not my norm and it's a very uncomfortable emotion for me to express and so I try to sort of ground myself by saying like how freaking lucky am I to have something in my life that I miss so much that is making me so angry it's like sort of channeling my emotions into love souvenir of -hmm. what I'm missing and it, it centers everything back to sort of like for just not to sound cliche but like an attitude of gratitude essentially Mm -hmm. of just like oh my god I love this person so much that I feel like I'm gonna explode and like that Mm -hmm. kind of gives me this gentle permission it almost feels like my dad's hand on the small of my back or something being Mm -hmm. like it's okay to do that you know like you love me that much I love you too like Mm -hmm. go release it and it makes it feel safer somehow I love that. I love that you have that way of doing it because it, instead of being like, why am I feeling angry? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. You're giving yourself that permission to you're be like, like of course. this anger is normal. And of course I feel angry Yeah, and it's okay. And I can feel it and I can process it rather than trying to shove it down and be like, I, yeah. I don't know what's going on with me. There's, I'm going crazy. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. All those kind of things. Yeah. So as we've talked about a bunch, you now support those who are grieving um, with child loss. So it's so true that, for lack of better words, our mess is our message or our pain is our purpose. And Mm -hmm. we have the ability, if desired, to turn that into something really beautiful in a community of sorts, So, which is what it looks like you've done here. Can you talk about what it was like, those beginning moments of starting your coaching practice? I have to imagine there was probably a little resistance, some fear, (laughs) some, like... What am I doing? I have like the who do I think I am? Like imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, I would say it's a whole nother level yeah. to grieve your child and learn how to walk with grief to now take it to another level of how do I support others yeah. through their own grief. Um, I really believe that in order to get to a place of helping other people in a just from my own experience that I have done the work so much in my own life. And I don't think I could do that if I hadn't processed my own pain because I can hold space for others and I don't have to take it on to me and I don't have to project my own story onto them Mm -hmm. because I am in a really good spot with my grief. Mm -hmm. But it was, I mean, when I first started thinking about it, I was like, do I, I feel so good in my grief journey do I really want to go into that space again? Yes. That was like a little yes. bit of like I had that fear. Too close like, to home. It's a such a painful, mm-hmm. like any mom who's grieving is in a really heavy place. And I was like, do I want to, do I want to do that? Do I want to sit in that really heavy space? But I've actually found that it's a really beautiful space. Um, it's really amazing to be with moms as they're working through stuff because number one, it's amazing to see how much this stuff can help them and how they're like, wow, it's, you know, it's only been three months and I can't even, I didn't believe this was possible to Mm -hmm. feel this way. Mm -hmm. And then also just when somebody is processing a really heavy emotion, 
I know that this is the only way forward, that they have to feel it. Yeah. And I get to be there with them. Um, to me is so beautiful. And, and so like, I know that it's healing and it's good for them Mm -hmm. to feel this. And it, so it's just a, it's just beautiful to me. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's not bad. It's not heavy. It's like, it just is, it says how you process and work through stuff. And so, yeah, um, it took me, you know, a little while to get there. And then the fear, I guess, of anytime you're starting to do anything that's like for a business mm-hmm. or coaching or whatever, just like, yeah, who am I to be a coach? How can I help other moms? Um, I didn't even know how to help because right away, because I was like, all they want is their child back and I can't do mm-hmm. that. You know? Right. And so now I'm like, really what I do is give them tools to support their bodies and minds through the grief experience. And I just, I love that so much rather than for me, I just don't, at this point want to do any physical products because I want to help their mental and emotional capacity and like their ability to live and thrive mm-hmm. in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that's possible. I've seen it in my own life and then my other you know clients that I've worked with, but it's just been a journey, I guess, to get, feel like I can do this. I have the tools. I have the skills. I, you know, there's been a lot of like feeling inferior, I guess, because I haven't gone to therapy school. And I'm like, you know what? I have lived grief on a deeper level than most therapists, unless they have, you know, gone through it. Mm -hmm. So I, I speak grief on a deep level and that's how I can help, help people. And it's just, it's been a beautiful thing. It's just definitely (laughs) tried my, my own mental capacity in a way that I didn't know would happen, but it's been really good. It's pushed me in so many ways. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I appreciate you so much. The cracking wide open, the heartfelt conversation, the work that you do to help to support others um, in this, in this grief bubble, which is like you said, too, too often muted or, you know, um, looked at as like, a burden. And it just really makes me feel so lit up that there are so many people, more people like you showing up and wanting to really share their stories. It's truly such a gift. And yeah, thank you for being here and for sharing Aria with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I always say that I love talking about this and like, it's not like the best, you know, lightest subject, but I love talking about it because obviously it's such a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's so important to talk about. So Absolutely. thank you for being open to and having this conversation. Yeah, of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you all so much for tuning into today's episode with Megan. I know that this was a hefty, hefty subject. Um, perhaps one that was a little bit difficult to navigate. Um, but I think that's the, that's the work is really speaking our truth and speaking the hard, the hard, the hard truths, just to really bring ourselves back to that human element, that empathetic, um, human element that I think we are so often lacking. So thank you so much to Megan for cracking wide open, for sharing Aria with all of us and, um, her journey to healing. If you love this episode, please feel free to share it with those that you think would benefit from this sort of support. These candid grief conversations are truly so special to me, and I hope that they are hitting in just the right way for those of you who need that extra support. Also, if you feel inspired, please feel free to leave a rating and review over on iTunes. Um, It is truly what helps this podcast grow and to organically land in the laps of those who need it most. So as always, I am just so grateful for your support and for you showing up, whether this is your first time or your 112th time, whatever episode this ends up being. I appreciate you and I love you. See you back here next week.